0: Okay, so we're going to be in the book of Corinthians, and we're still in chapter 1. I think it's like the third week now, chapter 1. Okay, but it's awesome stuff, though. That the reason why we're taking so long is because it's so rich. The, the book of Corinthians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, as far as the New Testament goes. Um, it, this is the book where, where um, the Apostle Paul spells out the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he shares with us the mysteries of God, things that, that are n- brand new to the body of, of God in the world, the body of Christ. But we're going to be starting in verse 18. But I have a little house business to attend to. Um, I want to talk about the handicapped parking stalls. How many of you guys noticed there's some new handicapped parking stalls? Yeah, they're located conveniently right there. And it has the unloading um, space right next to it. And um, I just want to let you guys know that if you aren't handicapped and you're parked in there right now, you're going to get towed. (laughs) I'm just joking Okay, it might have scared one or two people in here But no, um, we have grace for this beginning time People are getting used to it But just um, always be aware of that And I also wanted to address another uh, little bit of house business You know, I'm talking about how last week I shared and stuff And um, I've shared a few times here at this service But I'm just getting used to you guys And I'm I'm just again honored that Ralph would trust me with his flock And um, I was speaking with uh, one woman after service last week And she said, you know I understand how it's hard to talk about sex in the um, in, in from the from the um, you know in the church. It's hard to talk about sex. So I'm going. Did I, I talked about sex during the message? <laughs> I'm like, this is a this is new to me. News to me. I, I didn't know I talked about sex. So I go home and I listen to the whole message because I'm like, did I talk about what it, did I say something wrong? And I, I, I'm I'm listening to it and there's a part in the sermon where we're talking about division and unity. Or they're, they're, they're two opposites, right? There's division and there's unity. And how many of you guys know that there's many different Christian denominations or Christian sex in the world? And so this whole time I'm talking about Christian sex, I was thinking, oh no, this person might have thought I was talking about something totally different than Christian denominations. So I, uh, maybe we'll have a good laugh at that later. <laughs> so this week... Um, in light of what we talked about last week about division and unity, we were talking about these silly divisions that we're having as far as having church leaders and picking sides and playing favorites with their favorite church leaders. And I likened it as to like, us being like, I only follow Pastor Ralph. I'm only going to be a follower of Ralph my whole life, and that's it. And it's like, well, w- wait a minute, because you know, one day Ralph is going to resign the church, and does that mean you're going to resign the church? I hope not. I hope you stay in this church. And there's a lot of new blood. Look at me. I'm, you know, there's a lot of new blood in this church. And um, good things are happening. And we're talking about how that division was silly and how that unity is so important because then it makes us an effective team or an army. Where, you know, the the body of Christ is is compared to an army fighting the the evil forces of Satan and the darkness out there. Well, this week, we're going to be talking about something kind of, um, Paul's still kind of talking about that, like division, unity. And he takes it one step further and he says, This is the primary focus, what we need to know. Forget about divisions. This is what we need to know. We're talking about God's wisdom. We're getting into God's wisdom tonight. And the the name of the um, sermon is going to be God Chooses the Nobodies. God Chooses the Nobodies. So if you have verse 18 in Corinthians 1 handy, um, let's go ahead and read. It says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. In another translation, instead of destruction, it says, the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, literally perishing, dying. And it says, but we who are being saved, or we who are saved, know it is the very power of God, the message of the cross. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters, Or in modern terms, maybe the scientists and the PhDs and the professors. It says, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. Or I'd like to use the word human logic. So it it would read, God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human logic or reasoning. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So like last week, we were talking about how it was very popular in, in Greek culture with this, this renaissance of philosophers and people coming up with certain um, uh, different um, philosophical, underst- like um, overall philosophical understanding of life. And I, I could go into the different kinds of philosophies that are out there, but I don't want to bore you to death. So we're not gonna talk about that. I took philosophy classes in um, college and stuff, and I was actually on track to becoming a philosophy major and maybe even uh, wanting to pursue a doctorate in philosophy, becoming a professor in teaching or in teaching religion. So I was on that track. And like I said last weekend, I I ended up becoming a religion graduate from UH Manoa. So that's a little bit of my background. And um, if you don't know me, Um, (laughs) this is a little late for an introduction but my name is Pastor Rob and I'm the college pastor so there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was a little late. Um, It's kind of like what I was saying in my introduction about just coming from that wedding, my sister's wedding and my new brother's wedding. Conventional wisdom would say, what the heck? They only knew each other for three weeks or four weeks and they got engaged? How foolish is that? How crazy is that? I, you know, I, I even kind of Buffered them a little bit during that time because, wait, I don't know really what's going on. I don't know this person. And they were reaching out to me, though. Because they're in Australia, my, my sister and my brother-in-law were uh, Facebooking me, you know, that verb, uh, Facebooking. They were, <laughs> they were using Facebook to get in contact with me, like email, and I wouldn't respond to my new brother-in-law, or they were engaged, because I was kind of testing the waters a little bit, kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should totally give my trust to this whole situation right now. I need time to develop an understanding about what's happening. But, lo and behold, um, they came in um, about uh, almost two weeks ago, and I've had time to to spend with them, and they're spirit-filled people. They're the kind of people, when you hang out with them, you talk about the Lord, He's the kind of people when you hang out with them, if there's something in your life, they're just going to want to minister to you and they're just going to want to love on you. And he knows the word of God. And so last week, I was even talking about this this new brother-in-law of mine from Australia and how that when we have been spending this quality time, we'll talk about the Bible and it'll just be like there's no difference between he and I, even though he speaks like an Australian or whatever. There's no difference. And love was the same across this boundary. So conventional wisdom, like what, what, what we see in the world today, would probably call that foolishness. Getting married after um, less than a month, whatever. They call that foolishness. Now, in this passage, God says, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of this world. I'm going to get rid of it. I don't even... God is saying that man's wisdom is here, and God's saying, my wisdom, you can't even see it, it's so high. Man's wisdom is earth, earthly. It's, it's confined to time and space of, you know, planet Earth. And, and the way that he made uh, our, 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 our minds and stuff, I'm not trying to um, degrade that because God made us in his image and, I, and truly God has given us his wisdom. But I think this passage is kind of saying that when you trust in your intelligence, when you trust in what, uh, what you've learned in life and, and make these kind of these foolish conclusions about... Uh, things that you don't really know about. I'm going to delve in a little bit more deeper into what I'm trying to say. It's actually kind of tough right now to to fully explain what I'm saying because we're talking about wisdom. And So to go back to the um, scripture, I just want to um, highlight a few things we just read. The message of the cross. The power of God. Same thing. The message of the cross and the power of God. And the intelligence of the world. So, If you look at, like, super rich, famous, intelligent people of the world, who do you think of? Steve Jobs? Apple? Oprah? Oh, okay, not Oprah. Tom Cruise? (laughs) Scientology? No, no, okay, no, no Scientology. (laughs) But if you were to take Rob Wurlitzer and compare him to Tom Cruise and ask the world, oh, you know, who's more important? They're going to say Tom Cruise, unfortunately. And if you were to say Rob Wurlitzer versus Steve Jobs, some of you guys in here would be like, so Steve Jobs is way more important than you, Rob. But hey, God uses the nobodies. God uses the nobodies. The work that's happening right now, right in here, this is much more important than inventing something like an iPhone, like Steve Jobs did. Doing this right here is life-saving. It's, it's the power to rescue people from hell. And that is such a such more powerful than doing things confined, like I said, to this temporal life. There's a, there's a passage in Corinthians that says that things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we're talking about God's wisdom. Now, if you look throughout the Bible, God chooses people of low esteem. People who weren't so sophisticated, weren't so well-spoken, weren't so liked by society. Moses. Moses was a criminal on the run. He was someone who was elevated and and had high esteem with his people in Egypt. But what happened? He murdered an Egyptian for persecuting his Jewish brethren. And then he was on the run. He was a criminal. How about Ruth? Ruth wasn't even uh, of the Hebrew descent. But God ended up bringing her in and she became a part of the lineage of our Messiah. King David. King David, think of David and Goliath. Think of what his brothers thought of him when um, when he was talking about taking on a giant. I don't know, you know, what that would have looked like, a boy with a sling and a guy armed to the teeth, and 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 the whole army, the whole Israel army is scared of him. And you have Gideon. Gideon didn't think much of himself. Gideon was hiding when this persecution was coming on his land. But God called him out and said, you're a mighty warrior. Jeremiah, a prophet, hated by his own people for speaking the truth. Low esteem. Society didn't think much of him. How about Peter? St. Peter. The commercial fisherman. That's what I like about Peter. He's a fisherman. I love fishing. If I wasn't here, I'd be, a, I'd be fishing. He wasn't someone who was taught in the scriptures. We're going to read a passage later in the book of Acts. He wasn't taught in the school um, of the scriptures like the, the Pharisees and all the religious type of his day. But he commanded a crowd of 5,000 at one time, preaching boldly. We're going to find out more about Peter later on. But ultimately, if you want to see the, the ultimate example of God taking the, the foolishness of the world, like we said, the, the message of the cross, which is a foolishness to the world, you look at Jesus Christ, and you see a man who was born of a virgin. So from the start, he got flack from his whole society. Oh, you're born of a virgin, right. His dad had the profession of a, of a carpenter, such a humble profession, And Jesus took on that profession, and learning from his dad, and he was just a humble carpenter from Nazareth. So God chose chose those considered weak to show his power through, and in turn, making foolish what the world considers important. So this is the basic message tonight. Um, I might quote several different scriptures that um, aren't in your notes, but just follow along with me. Just write them down on the side. Um, But if I could sum up in a nutshell a couple of the scriptures... I'll just give them to you right now because this is going to be the crux of the message. This is what we're talking about tonight. Isaiah 55.8 and Proverbs 3.5. Isaiah Isaiah 55.8 says that my ways are not like your ways. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And this is God speaking to man. And Proverbs 3.5 says, it says, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path. And so, I kind of had to struggle with that, with um, my sister getting engaged in that whole deal. But again, didn't trust in my own understanding. A little standoffish at first. Um, but I just saw the glory of God uh, as we had our, um, their wedding ceremony, led by Pastor Rob Gross of uh, Mountain, Mountain View, which is a, a community church down the road here. And he was just sharing Uh, the word of the Lord, with all of my, you know, um, extended family and friends and people who just need to hear that word. So I just saw the glory of the Lord all over this wedding, and it's a great thing. But a humble beginning, right? So in in a way, we're talking about humble beginnings. We're, in general, talking about being humble. Hope Chapel, Kanye Bay, started with a humble beginning. They started under a tree. Right, Ruby? What kind of tree was it? Owl tree. So Kailua Beach Park, you guys know Kailua Beach Park. Just imagine, all the things that this church has accomplished started with a small group of people under a tree. No place to meet. That's a humble beginning. But the people sitting there at that time, if you were to say, yeah, there's going to be about a you know, thousand churches started from this, this church right, that's happening right now, you wouldn't know, what, what is it going to look like? What, who, who, where are all these people going to come from? How is it going to go around the world? How are all these things going to happen? Only the Lord knew at that time how it was going to happen. How does a seed grow into this mighty tree, right? That's how we look at our church, coconut, coconut seed. We look at the coconut, and we see how it goes all around the world because it floats through the ocean currents. And when it lands, and it, and it, start, and it starts to grow, and it starts to bear fruit, our goal is that it turns into a a coconut orchard and that there would be coconut trees as far as the eye can see. We're hoping that Kaneohe is going to be kind of like that. And I'm not saying we're going to start more Hope Chapels in Kaneohe, but aren't you guys glad we kind of come from a Christian community? That there's a lot of Christian churches in our community? That's something that I was proud of. And even when I look across our state, our state is the only state where Christianity is growing. Isn't that something to be proud of? That we come from a state like that? So, I'm going to talk about two types of people real quick. When I quoted um, the 1 Corinthians um, scripture, at the end of it, in verse 22, it says that it's foolish to the Jews who ask for a sign, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Okay? I'm going to talk about these two different types of people. So those who only believe if it was undeniably proven to them, the Jews. They want to see the cloud, like when they were traveling through the desert. They want to see the pillar, this cloud that would lead them through the desert, and by night this flame, and they they wanted to see the glory of the Lord. But God didn't do that. He came as a carpenter's son. I kind of liken the the people who look for signs as people who, coming from the um, um, collegiate kind of, terminology, meaning you know, from, from college, and I was a religion major, there's, there's, this, there's this term that we had to memorize and know, and it was agnostic, agnostic, without knowledge, meaning that sure, there could be a God, but I don't know who he is. Sure, there could be a God, but I just, I don't have a relationship with him, and so I'm not totally sure what the truth is about God. I, I lack the knowledge to know. That is agnostic, and I would kind of say there's a lot of Christians today who say they're Christians, but I would say they're rather agnostic. And I'm not trying to throw a stone at anyone here or throw stones at people, but I'm just saying, are you grounded in the truth? And do you really believe and have strong faith in your God? Or do you kind of not know too much about your God? This is a question to ask yourself and a question for me to ask myself to see and examine myself if I'm even in the faith, if I even know God on a real level. And I've had friends who get kind of impatient with God. They want a sign. They want to see God do miracles in their life. They want to be happy 24-7. Who wants to be happy 24-7? Just perfectly happy. I'm just happy 24-7. I never have stress. Bad things don't happen. I'm not going to die. You know, life is great. Is that kind of de- delusional thinking? God didn't create us for that. He created us to have a relationship with Him. Agnostic people are without no- knowledge. Knowledge. They don't worship the Lord in spirit and truth. I have friends who get impatient and they turn to other things, right, to, to give them this pleasure of the 24-7 happiness. They might be living in the world, drinking, doing drugs. Um, they might be doing things like workaholics who just want to fill that void in their life. They don't know why they have this void in their life, but making money somehow fills it temporarily. They're rather agnostic. Now, for the Greeks who seek after human wisdom, in the verse 21, when it says that God saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, the world would never know him through human logic, it goes back to that Isaiah 55. His ways are higher. It is impossible to even understand his ways. So when there's people who want to explain away God and say, well, I'd believe God if I saw him because I'm an empirical person. I need to see I I won't believe it till I see it. We all know people like that. I won't believe it till I see it. Well, that would be a pretty pathetic God if you could see him because he would be limited in a certain power. Our God is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is is so far above our ways and are, like I said, confined to our time and space and what he he made for us. And we, for one, I get upset when people are angry at God because we rebelled at God. God never did anything to us. We rebelled to the Lord, right? So that's why we're in this present condition. So this whole thing about the Greeks who seek after human wisdom, I liken them or I compare them to atheists without God. They take their human understanding and they try to rationalize God and explain away God, meaning that they could they could they could physically understand God, the maker of the entire universe. Sounds kind of silly. And again, I'm not trying to throw stones at these people, but I see them all the time. Famous atheist passed away recently of cancer, Christopher Hitchens. He was rather impatient with God, and he said that it sickened him that Jesus Christ would come and do this thing that he called vicarious redemption, meaning that Jesus would self-sacrifice, even though we didn't deserve it, that he would just come along and save Whoever would believe. He didn't like that. I like that. I like that a lot. And you guys know that if it weren't for Jesus, we'd live in a rather hopeless world. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. So to the world, the gospel is perceived as a crutch or for weak-minded people or just a coping mechanism. You guys have heard probably friends even try to, to get in a little debate with you about it. Like, well, yeah, you believe in a God because you're scared or you believe in a God because of this or that. I would point them to Romans 1. Now, if you could turn there, I'm going to go on my phone real fast. We're going we're to read a little bit from Romans 1 and it speaks right into this passage. And it actually gives us the process of what happened. It gives us an explanation of what happened concerning atheists and concerning agnostics, okay? So when you have atheists and agnostics in your life, you can always think to Romans 1, and it gives us kind of explanation. Um, I'm reading from the King James uh, Bible, and I'm going to be starting in verse 13. Um, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Again, like I said, we rebelled against God. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made by His creation, even His eternal Power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Profe- professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of God, of the un- uncorruptible God, into an image made like a corruptible man, like birds and beasts and creeping things. He's talking about idolatry. So, so the main things that 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 I want to share from that passage is. Men were ungrateful. They knew God, but they did not want to worship God in truth. They turned to their own ways, and this is what happens. We get things like, I'm going to step on a few toes here, Um, Darwinian evolution. Okay? Now, with Darwinian evolution, you can say that, well, the universe just always was, just always was, okay? Even though they also, you know, it's expanding, you know, lights going out, you know, they're so <laughs> there's so many theories, I'm not going to get into it, but there's the Big Bang Theory. All, all of us in here know the Big Bang Theory. Some of us believe it is gospel, meaning that we believe, oh yeah, that, you know, that happened and there was this you know, a sequence of events and here we are today, um, how many billion years later? Okay, I'm not saying to believe that or not, but what I am saying is people will use that and say, well, then there doesn't need to be a God. It just, it, just, it is what it is. We're just a matter of matter. <laughs> We're just a matter of physical matter. And it just happened to be that accidentally things got good and um, now we have all these things like joy and love in the world and like, you know, things are great. I don't really believe that myself. I believe that God created everything as we just read. And I believe that when you see that sunset as you go home or um, when you see the sun rise, the the, the majestic things of God, you have this sense in your heart that there is someone not only out there, but that there, there is someone here because you feel spoken to sometimes. Sometimes life has these coincidences, and you're like, well, that was kind of a weird coincidence. I feel like deja vu happens, and you're like, I don't know what to make of that. Now, the Bible never talks about deja vu, but all these things happen to us. We have this numinous feeling, meaning this, this awesome, this awesomeness beyond speech feeling. And so man is trying to figure out the world through human reasoning and logic. We see where we're at with that. We see what it does to our society in a way because if it is true that there um, is no God, like Nietzsche, the, the famous philosopher, said, God is dead, then there are no rules. There is no love. There is nothing except matter and sequence. Matter and sequence. So honestly, I feel like that's hogwash, to think that you know, we're just a matter of matter. But then on the other side, I do see how it might be hard for some people, when you look across how big and wide our world is, to say, well, if Jesus is the only way, you know, what about all these other people groups? And what about all these other nations and history? And, and um, how come it is that you just believe in God and then that's it or whatever? I understand these are hard things to preach sometimes. They're they're rather mysterious. It reveals the character of God, and then sometimes we doubt his character and we say, Well, God, you know, why'd you choose me over so and so? And or sometimes we even question whether or not we're saved, right? A lot of us, you know, go through that from time to time. Am I worthy or whatever? And and it it's God's wisdom is beyond us, is what I'm trying to say. Do you guys hear me? God's wisdom is beyond us. I can't explain it away right now to you guys, why God chose to come as a baby. Through the line of David, to be born of a virgin, to be crucified on the cross. I can't totally explain to you why God chose to do it that way. But I know it's beautiful. I know that it resonates with me in such a way that nothing else in this world resonates with me. Meaning that it feels true, true, true more than anything else I know. And that it almost opened up my eyes to things that I would never really thought about or knew before. I felt like when I became a Christian, it was almost like blinders were taken off. And I could see uh, wisdom and truth and stuff. And you guys know what I'm talking about. So, what human would ever think of the Jesus story, though? What human could ever contrive a person like Jesus, or even if you were someone who thought of the idea and said, I'm going to be this scapegoat, I'll be Jesus, and I'll do what he did. There's no way you could do it. If you look at the statistical odds of what Jesus did, he was prophesied about hundreds of years before he was even born. You couldn't figure that one out. I can't figure that one out. It has to be of God. So it's illogical. We, don't, we can't explain, we can't fully understand what we've done to deserve this, but we know that we're called. And so tonight's message, we're actually going to be um, kind of closing on that point again, just like last week, that we are called, that we have a purpose, that we are being equipped right now to do something. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.15. It says our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, a sweet smell, our lives, rising up to God in Christ. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. This would explain persecution. Have you guys ever felt oppressed, persecuted, even if it might have been in like a, a, a slight kind of a way where people just might say something kind of mean about you because they know that you, that you follow God? They kind of joke about you I've had this happen so much. Have you ever had family doubt you? Or family kind of um, kind of point the finger at you? Oh, you're giving your money to the church. You know, what, what is up with that? Things that they don't understand about. I, I heard Pastor Tom preach um, on f- last night, and he shared about Filipino food. Who likes Filipino food? Now, I, I like Filipino food. And who likes um, all the smells that Filipino food makes? Okay, okay, less hands. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Tom shared about this. I've had his grandma's punsit, um, and yeah, that stuff's good. Um, when I was a kid, I'm not going to get into Filipino food. When I was a kid, <laughs> um, my great-grandparents were Japanese, and I remember going to their house, and it would smell like mothballs. <laughs> Who knows that? Okay. Whose house smells like moth? No, okay. So I would always relate that to my great-grandparents, you know, a fond memory. But to, for some people, they can't stand that smell. Do you know what I mean? In life, it's going to be like that with our Christian walk. We're going to be walking in the Lord. We're going to be doing loving things. We're going to be um, full of joy and full of light and full of goodness of God. And some people are going to perceive that as a bad smell. And and it doesn't make sense. You know, What? Why do you, why do you have so much hurt? Why do you hate me? Why do you persecute me? It was like Jesus. Why did they persecute Jesus? He was their Messiah. He never sinned. But then for others, it's refreshing. Kind of like what I was sharing about my, my sister and my brother-in-law. When I'm around them, it's just this, we bounce off each other. I feel confident. I could, I could go out in a sinking ship and feel like, you know what? It's me and my, my Christian brother right here. We're going to be taken care of. I'm confident, you know. Let's pray about this right now. And the ship's going down and everything. I'm saying my circumstances could be totally messed up. But when you're around people who are confident in God, that gives you this confidence. And it comes across as this sweet smell. And you're just, you have the confidence. It's, it's catchy. It, it, it latches onto you. So some people in life are going to be bitter about the cross of Jesus, and some people are going to be really stoked about it. One praise is that um, on Friday nights, we have um, people come from the Hina Malka Drug Rehab Center up here to hear the word of God. Now, isn't that awesome? We get people who are broken who get to come up here and lift their hands and worship God in their most fragile time of their life, and some people just they just get saved. Some people become members of our church, just productive members. Of their lives just turn around, 180. And I'm, I'm so stoked on that ministry. And so some people are going to just receive it. And so when I see the, the people coming up from Hinamaka, a lot of times when we pray for salvation, those hands are going up because those people are in a place where they can, they can perceive it for what it is. They can smell the hope where other people who think that they are above this type of hope, where they have everything squared away in life, that they don't need it, it's going to be foolishness to them. I don't need Jesus. We do missions in Japan. And Japan's a beautiful country. And I have a Japanese heritage. And so I've been to Japan four times. And that's a mission field that our church invests in. And I lead a team there. And what you find is that most of the Japanese people have um, life down to a T, squared away, how it's supposed to be done. And Christianity is not a part of that equation of life. It's just their culture. It's just the way that they were developed over centuries. So we kind of hit a wall sometimes when we go there. Because if they feel like they have every, all their ducks in a row, why would they need what we're trying to bring? So sometimes we hit a wall there. But we are seeing progress. We are seeing fruit. We are seeing God do things that seem like the impossible. We had a team of uh, 12 high school age kids come to our church and stay with um, some families from our church, and several of them have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior just because they, they hung out with us for like three weeks. So God is doing a mighty work over there. But I wanted to say, though, that isn't it hard when the world's wisdom has, in a way, uh, blinded the eyes? It's really Satan but blinded the eyes of so many people who need to to believe, but they're so caught up in just worldly ways. Because on the news, they don't talk about Jesus. In HBO, on TV, the radio, in the government, all around us, they don't talk about Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus. So we we do have a hard time when the world is always throwing at us things that are anti-Christ, but the gospel, as you guys know, is not foolishness, and it is the very power of God. And I want to, I want to it kind of not just use the word wisdom, but I want to actually define it a little bit as Jesus' definition of why he came. In Luke 4, 18 to 19, it says, Jesus says, this is my mission. He's quoting Isaiah, I think, 61. He's saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come, that the year of the Lord is now. (laughs) When you look at our church, I feel like I'm seeing this all around me, and what that's telling me is that God's wisdom, God's mission, Jesus Christ, the message of the cross is going out through our church, Last week's message about unity, again, another plug on that. That's why it is so important that we come together on this one message, this one thing. This is what Paul is saying. Forget the divisions, come to unity, and here's what we unite on. Here's what we unite on. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus Christ and His message, the message of the cross. And this has power to it. Everything that Jesus stated there is being done in our church, like I said. And I kind of feel like our church looks like... um, some passages in the Bible, I believe that we're really bringing to life the Bible in our church, the way we do things. That's where we base um, our practices and our teachings on. But here's the passage, Luke 5, as the very next chapter. In Luke 5, Jesus is doing his miracles. He's doing his ministry. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. And he comes across Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. So tax collectors in, the, in their day were hated by their own people, because they were so somewhat of traitors, they would take money from the poor and give to the rich, the Roman Empire, and they would get a cut. So they were hated. And Jesus walks up to Matthew, and he's at his um, reception table, the customs, people walking by, he, he takes money from them, and, and this whole reversal happens. Jesus walks up to the table and just says, follow me. Matthew leaves everything, and just, okay, and he just starts following him. Matthew thro- throws a party for Jesus. This reminds me of what I just came from this wedding ceremony where, where there's all this extended family and friends of mine from my past and my dad's friends as growing up as a kid. And they're all down at my, my, my dad's house. And uh, they're just eating and having a great time. And sure enough, though, a couple of my uncles, the rascals, I see them bringing the beer and I see, I, I can already know what's going to happen. It's going to turn into a party. And then I'm sure all my uh, old friends from high school might start showing up because they hear about my sister's birthday. When I think of the party that Matthew th- is throwing, I think of that kind of party. I think that there might be prostitutes there. There might be people, other tax collectors were there. And the Bible only specifies sinners. It says there were other sinners at that party. They're Matthew's friends, the despised people. And Jesus is sitting there just having a good time with them. And some of the religious folk come along and say, Why do you sit with the sinners? Why are you with these like low-class people? And then Jesus says, um, because those who are well don't need to see a doctor, but those who are sick. Jesus is saying, I'm the great physician. I need to come to these people. These are the people I'm after. So in this whole message about wisdom and stuff, the people who think that they're already righteous, the people who think that they already can explain away God, that there is no God, that God is dead, it's going to be a hard time for them to receive God when he smells like a stench to them, when they, have, they want nothing to do with it. Paul was kind of like one of those people, the Apostle Paul, but God graciously blinded him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then miraculously healed him. Uh, moving on in the scripture in Corinthians, though, open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 23. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Okay, pick up on that. The Jews did not believe that Jesus was a Messiah. So in a way, when you preach Christ crucified as a Messiah, they think you're blaspheming. They are offended by that. If you, if you guys meet Jewish people, this is still happening. The Gentiles say it's all nonsense. What are you talking about? A human came down and became this sacrifice for me so that if I just like believe him, then I'm going to go to heaven? Just like that. <laughs> you guys are sitting there going, that does sound kind of weird. <laughs> That's what they're thinking. Verse 24. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. The reality is that human wisdom, plans, and capability, this is me talking, only go so far. Our greatest plans can't even touch God's weakest plans. In my life, getting married to my beautiful wife um, in college, choosing what to do with my life, uh, working here at a church. These are all decisions. And a lot of you guys know that life is made up of many decisions, and some of them are more important than others. But some decisions sometimes just fall into place, and they just click. When I was at UH, like I said, I wanted to be this philosophy major, da-da-da. God just said, no, go to the religion department. I did that and I went through school having a blast, having a great time. And looking in hindsight, I see how it's impacted the ministry today and how God used that for a reason. I took a philosophy class called the theory of knowledge. The kind of stuff like, um, is Rob really here right now, talking in front of everyone? That kind of stuff. (laughs) The theory of knowledge. Like, it might not even, you know, we might not even exist. (laughs) That kind of stuff. That was so irritating. (laughs) <laughs> that was, I was, I was in the back of the classroom for, for that one, but uh, I still passed. Okay. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to big decisions in your life, do you ever get antsy? God, what's next? What are you doing with my life? Where am I going? Here's the thing to do in those situations. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge God. He'll direct your path. Baby steps open doors. That's a saying I've heard and I've seen it in my life, like with, with getting married to my wife, Ricky. God just providing every step along the way and not trusting in, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? You know, at the time, I think I was working part-time in the world, part-time in the church, and going to school full-time, and then getting engaged and doing all this crazy stuff at once. I didn't know how I was going to do it but we did it by God's grace. His ways, he just has his grace upon our lives and there's power and it comes with trusting in the message of the cross. So I'm gonna kind of close up. Um, I'm gonna s- pick up in verse 29. Here's, here's, here's the point. As a result of all of this, what I've been telling you guys, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Just take that for what it, is, what it is, what I said right now. No one can ever boast in the presence of God, including all of us. That's a heart of worship. That's a heart of humility. But I'm going on. It says, verse 30, God has united you with Jesus Christ, and for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, and he made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. In another translation, it says he redeemed us. Just like Tasha's testimony, you hear of the redemption where she was in bondage to guilt, to shame, to pain, to memories, to so many things. But she said, the day that I became born again and called Jesus my Lord and Savior was the day when all that stuff was redeemed and gotten rid of and I was rescued from that. Jesus Christ is all about a redemptive work. So when it says that the wisdom of God is the cross, this is the work that we're all cut out for. It says... Or earlier when I read it, said that people are being saved by the preaching. No one is going to be saved unless there's preaching. And this isn't just the preaching that I'm doing right now. It's the preaching that you guys are going to do. So getting equipped right now, knowing your word, and, and being bold, and going out there and being empowered. And know that this, there's a scripture that says, when you speak before men, when you speak before audiences, even if it's a one-on-one, when you're speaking on behalf of Jesus, it's not you who's speaking. It's the Holy Spirit. There's been so many times when I talk to people about Jesus and these words are coming out of my mouth and scriptures I'm remembering from like uh, like it's so randomly and it's like God wants to talk to this person. God's doing a redemptive work in our church. Um, Pastor Charlie and Pastor Tom recently went and visited the state hospital and it was because there was a youth kid whose mom um, happened to um, come across Charlie and let him know that her son's in the hospital. Would you guys visit him? And it just so happens her son is someone who is in our youth group, and I knew him personally. And so Pastor Tom and Pastor Charlie went over there, and they saw this guy. And uh, Pastor Tom was sharing last night that this, this sort of feeling started welling up in him to tell him something. And it was to tell him that God is after him, to tell him that he's not abandoned in this hospital and that God is there. A lot of people in this world just need to know that. That God is after you. He's there. He is real. Don't trust in human wisdom and human understanding, what the news tells you, what the world tells you. And so, verse 31 says, Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Boast only in God. Let all of your wisdom, let all of your understanding come from God. I'm going to close up right now with a prayer, but there's a testimony, uh, there's a guy you could look up, um, I found out about him, he's a minister from my brother-in-law, and his last name is Wigglesworth, and you know, uh, what's his first, first name, he's on my, I follow him on Twitter, he's dead now, I think, but he's, he's, huh, David Wigglesworth? He was a minister, I think, out of the UK, out of um, England, the only book he ever read was the Bible. He never grew up with education, da-da-da. The only book he ever read was the Bible. I follow him on Twitter, and some of the things that I read about him are so wise. Wisdom is truly only found in God, so let's just pray for wisdom right now. God, um, I just thank you for this this congregation right here, the 5 p.m. service, Lord, and I just lift them up to you, the worship band, Lord God, the greeters, the people in the back end, Pastor Ralph, um, all the people who make this service, a platform for preaching the message and the powerful message of Jesus. And so as your message went out today, God, I just pray that you would have empowered many people here. And Jesus, that through the humility and the wisdom that you give us as we worship you, God, that you'd give some people here who feel like they're lacking wisdom, that you'd give them wisdom. People who might feel like they they don't have a voice or that they don't have anything to say, Jesus, remind them that it's not even them who is speaking, but it's you alive in them speaking. Holy Spirit, so just uh, touch um, the people that need a touch Holy Spirit now, whether it's um, healing any kind of uh, fear, that your perfect love casts out any fear in anyone here, God. That the best is yet to come, and that you do have a work for us, God. So I just pray that we wouldn't neglect the work you're doing. Thank you, God, for this time. Um, I, I want to pray for anyone here who wants to just make a further commitment that Jesus Christ uh, is your Lord and Savior. Um, we do this regularly here, and all this is doing is, is you kind of saying, "Hey, I'm confessing right now." And we do the confession the most orderly way in this room, like this, is just going to be you raising your hand. Um, and uh, right now, if there's anyone who wants to confess Jesus is their Lord in this place, raise your hand right now. Okay, I see one, two people, three people. I see, th- I see you. Put your hand down and let's pray. Father God. We're nothing without you, God. And right now we receive your salvation by grace that you're calling out to us right now, God. Lord, we receive you as our Savior. Lord, thank you for giving us a new life in every way, in every respect. You give us a new life, a new mind. You give us a new heart. You give us a new spirit. God, forgive us for any sin, Lord, that we have committed in our lives, Lord God. We nail that to the cross. And Jesus, you have paid for that sin. So in that now, by your life and your death and your resurrection, we have no sin before God. And that we can enter into to your kingdom, Lord God. We thank you for that gift of salvation. And we give you worship and praise. Now let's praise God for those people who accepted the Lord as their Savior. Pastor Tom.